everybody. I am so excited. Everybody sit down. This is a treat. I'm interviewing an amazing humanoid today, probably one of the world's best kept secrets in business and life. She is Mary Shakun. She's known around planet Earth as a million dollar boardroom. So if you've ever wondered what it might be like to perhaps land clients that pay you a million dollars. And I know that's the first thing that interested me. Uh, tune in because that's just one small part of Mary's expertise. It was, it's the part that I noticed, you know, when I first Mar met Mary, I said, oh, she's the one known around the world for getting million dollar clients. But as I got to know Mary more, I thought that is not the, the main thing about Mary. That is one thing she does very well working with CEOs, uh, famous people, royalty, average folks. But her wisdom is what she's going to share with us today. So, Mary, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Adele. Oh. Delighted to be here. Oh, my God. I was so excited because you really are what I think. Um, I would call this one of the world's greatest kept secrets. And I'm fascinated with my show of finding people like you, not necessarily the loudest, but with the freshest, most innovative, creative, and authentic thinking that's really impacting the world. Those are the people I want. And you are on my list. So everybody, sit down, stop scrolling, and I'm going to read Mary's bio. Under the umbrella of Million Dollar Boardroom, Inc., Mary Shakun advises some of the world's top entrepreneurs, fortune CEOs, and others from global icons to royalty on how to dramatically grow their business, develop their people, and elevate their overall performance. She's known globally for her sex success in coaching growth-focused CEOs and entrepreneurs to meaningful exits. Mary has coached more than 200 CEOs and entrepreneurs around the globe. Previously, she was a partner in Suez Ventures, a venture capital company owned by her late husband, among other things, Mary is known for making big things happen, helping CEOs hire the right talent, creating an amazing corporate culture while staying competitive and hiring growth and maintaining work-life balance. Mary also helps CEOs design their corporate culture. A lot of people think that corporate culture just comes about on its own, but actually corporate culture is in the purview of the CEO and not anyone else's. Under the umbrella of million-dollar client, Mary teaches entrepreneurs the art of finding, engaging, and closing seven-figure clients. So much more coming. So Mary, you know, your life story is truly fascinating. I mean, I know you've shared it before, but we wouldn't be doing justice on your wisdom without understanding where it came from. I mean, you've had quite an accept, uh, unusual life. Um, that brought you to how and why, the why of what you do today. And I think that's really important. If you're out there as a listener and you're not really sure what your purpose is or why, um, Mary's going to show us a little bit from her story, I think, that her why came from a result of everything she experienced. So Mary, would you like to sort of, in a nutshell, tell everybody your amazing, unusual background? Well, I was born in Ireland, and by the time I was 21, I had experienced two very serious accidents. 
Uh, one was a, um, a car accident, but the more serious one was an equestrian accident that where I ended up in a coma for nine or 10 months. And when I woke up from that coma, I had to be totally rehabilitated and it took another year. And even after that year, my friends would say, oh, my God, she's talking gibberish. And during the rehabilitation, uh, I overheard nurses saying she should be in an institution. I don't know what they're trying to do. You know, they should just put her in an institution and forget about her because she will never walk or talk again. And I just said in my own head, just watch me. Anyway, eventually, I, you know, I was totally rehabilitated and I worked on it. And I, I was in Ireland and at the time, there were very few opportunities. You, have, you became a nurse or a teacher or a nun, neither of which I really wanted to do. So I came to America. And in America, I had some amazing opportunities, but America was so much more difficult than I ever anticipated. You know, from, from the Irish easy goal, you know, easy life and lazy and not so ambitious and all of that, suddenly I had to hop to it and get up and and uh, totally changed my lifestyle to keep up with America. So it was, it was really the, those two accidents combined with my early childhood and education by the Irish nuns. And then when I came to America, I met an Egyptian Muslim. It's a whole other story. We got married and had three children and together we built a multi-million dollar, maybe even close to a billion dollar venture capital empire. And one day I came home, it was a Sunday morning, and he said, can I pour you a scotch? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. And I said, my God, what do I need a scotch for at 10 o'clock in the morning? He said, I have to talk to you. I said, what could be up? The children were in, were in boarding school at the time and some of the most illustrious schools in the world. And I said, the last time I checked, the kids were okay. The money was in the bank. We had a country house that's still standing and I'm still standing. So what could be wrong? So he poured a scotch for himself and he said, we're broke. I said, how could we be broke? I don't have any recollection of signing up my money, my percentage of the company over to you. And he says, don't worry, I, I signed it for you. And so there we were left, we were left penniless. I didn't know, I sat in this apartment for six months with no gas, no electric. The children were still in the same illustrious schools, though I managed to keep them in school, even though I didn't, you know, have a penny in my pocket. That's uh, that's the makings of a book, actually. And they all got the same education as if nothing ever happened. Um, but however, it did leave a scar. It does leave a scar. That kind of, you know, you're you're used to flying in your own private plane. You have a house in the country. You have everything you need. And suddenly, my God, you can't even pay the the gas bill, or you have no money for food, or you can't make a phone call. And even though my children were in the most illustrious sporting schools around the world, I would have to scramble around the house for pennies and quarters and go and buy a phone card for $2 and go to the public phone in, a, in order to make a phone call after that incident. Wow. And if that wasn't enough, then my youngest daughter, who was 20 at the time, was diagnosed as schizophrenic as a result of a date rape. And in 2012, she took her life. So all of these things, you know, withstanding all of these things, I think makes a person more resilient. You know, after the accident, I would say, well, what next? What's, what worst thing could happen? 
after my husband lost the money, I mean, of course I was angry. You know, we had worked extremely hard. We had each come here with nothing, with 50 bucks or less. And of course I was very angry. And I thought after the money was left and then he died and my daughter died after him, I, I thought when he died, you know, well, what's next? I never anticipated my daughter's death. And all of that combined. So at that point, so after my daughter died, my oldest daughter is a lawyer and she was working out in the Persian Gulf. And I was flat broke. I was living on, I'd been fired from my job. I couldn't concentrate. If you asked me my name, I probably could say, what do you mean? What's my name? My, I was totally adult. Anyway, I went, I went to the Persian Gulf. She gifted me the ticket. And when I arrived, she handed me a box of stationery. I said, what's this? I'm not going to be looking for a job out here. I barely know my own name. She said, open it. And it was Mary Shakun will host a workshop on Saturday. Like that's Saturday within 48 hours on how to live a fearless life. And I did, I did it. She had organized 500 people to attend. Everybody was going to pay me $200 for four hours. So I literally, when I arrived, I was, you know, I had, I had paid the rent for my social security and I had pocket money and I had nothing, no savings, no extra money. And suddenly I had 10,000, 500 people came, they paid $200 and I said, oh my God, I made $10,000 in one afternoon. But the icing on the cake for that afternoon was this very grand British gentleman who had been educated at Harvard, grew up in Boston, was working in Dubai, and he flew in from Dubai to Bahrain for the workshop, uh, came up to me and said, Mary, do you coach? I was always the go-to person, everybody, Mary, how do you get your kids into college? How do you do this? How do you do that? So I was kind of the go-to person. And I said, well, what's your problem? And he told me. And he had, was a fifth year investment banker working in Dubai. His boss had given him one big black mark. And if he got another black mark, he was out the door. And in investment banking, it's much the same as a law firm. It's very difficult to get a new job if you're fired. Very, unless you know somebody who will pull you in someplace. And I said, well, sure, I can help you with that. Now, I had never coached anybody, like formally, as a life coach before. And I said, yes, I can help you with that. And on the, But on the way out to that workshop, I turned to my daughter and I said, well, by the way, if somebody wants to wants me to coach them, say, up the corporate ladder, which I happen to be very good at, strategy and career strategy, how much should I charge out here? $200 an hour, $300 a session. And she, just, she put on her best poker face and she turned to me and she said, are you crazy, mom? This is what you do. You curl your toes in your shoes. You put on your best poker face and you say $1 million for 10 months. And then you shut your mouth because if you open your mouth again, you will unsell what you just sold. So here I had Harry who was a failing investment banker. And you have to remember investment bankers over the course of a successful lifetime make hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe even billions. So what's 1 million in comparison? So we talked a little bit, we arranged, he hired me without ever knowing what I charged. He said, let's start a week from Monday. And on the way out the door, 
he turned around and he scratched he said oh by the way mary how much do you charge so there you go i put on my poker face i carded my toes and my shoes and i said one million dollars within a few seconds of scratching his head and looking around and thinking about it he said not a problem send me your send me your banking details and i'll send you the money so that was my first client and after that he referred to more and I got more and more referrals and then I met very interesting people along the way and they referred and uh, but I, I studied I read like in order to get to prepare a program for Harry to reverse the black mark and to make partner within the a lot of time was a lot, going to be a lot of work. And I had had the opportunity to work in an investment bank, but not at that level of overseeing associates. So I called every partner who was responsible for associates in America in, in, in different investment banking companies. And they helped me put together a training program that was hugely successful. So that's how I got to where I am today. Oh, um this is going to be a movie someday. I mean, your whole life is going to be a movie someday, but uh, I'm just struck by your resourcefulness. Um, you do seem to engender a certain trust, you know, like I, people trust you. Um, it's just one of the qualities that you sort of ooze. And the fact that you do know the um, investment banking world, that you were interested in doing research to help people. And, um, I think for me, the ultimate credit when you know you're doing good work is referrals. So that tells me, even if you didn't train to do the whatever certification or whatever, you were doing really good things. And probably, how did you do that? Like, I think a lot of people out there are like, well, I want to help people, but I, I, I don't know what I've got. And there you were with a client, first time, a million dollars, you never coached anyone before. How did you go about digging deep on how you would how would you how would you show up for this person? Because that's a fascinating way of you starting to express yourself in a way that impacts somebody else. The most important thing at any coaching level is to focus on the other person mm-hmm. and to be an avid listener and to listen empathetically and to stop thinking about, oh my God, this guy is so superior to me. This guy was going to ask all sorts of crazy questions. How am I going to answer him? Will I be able to close him? You know, these are all the questions that go through somebody's mind instead of forgetting about all of that and thinking, what is this guy? Why is he hurting? What hurt? What was the hurt? that brought him to me today? What is the hurt that will cause him to pay me a million dollars or more sometimes, you know? Um, How do I gain his trust? How do I show him that I'm a trusted advisor, not just a coach or an expert, I'm actually a trusted advisor. And so how do I show that to him? but I do a lot of due diligence on my clients to, to as far as possible. And I think that the most important thing is, you know, you, the coach themselves must have self-confidence. You must have the confidence that you can help this person deal with, get rid of, or get rid of, or disrupt the 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 whatever's going on in his world, the negativity that's going on in his world at the moment. 
Yes, I imagine that whether you're dealing with, you know, celebrities or royalty or or CEOs, that the problems of living, of being a humanoid are 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 the same. I mean, we're not really that different. It's just, you know, maybe lifestyle issues and the ability to really listen. And of course, you have that in spades and to be there for people. Um, that that's an that's an, a, a huge service to people. Um, do you have a sense of, like, if you could stand on a rooftop somewhere and scream out to the world a message for all the CEOs of the world, or even royalty, or all these folks that you know, the rest of us go, oh my God, but they're they're just humans like everybody else. What would you like the world to know that you feel like if people got this? Oh my God, we could solve climate change. We could solve world hunger. All these problems that are because partly because you know we don't understand each other or we can't work together. What would be a message you would want to be known for? To put yourself first. Mm. To love yourself. So what? You're the CEO of whatever. You know the top Fortune 100 companies. So what? It's just a job. Jobs come and go. But you, your wife, your family are there forever. And a lot of CEOs, especially people in high power jobs, because of the pressures, you know, they work long hours. They don't give their a, a, a sufficient attention to their families, to their spouses, to their children. And then the kids grow up and I've come across spouses at 60 years of age and they're in therapy because their kids hate them because they were never home. So the, I'm curious, just from a bystander, you know, in the peanut gallery, um, the CEO job itself, do you get the feeling that these folks doing these jobs actually enjoy it? Like, is this something so lifting for them to run some big company or is it more, I, I don't know. I mean, people get promoted and my experience with work, working with a lot of executives is they're not having a good time. And so I'm always wondering, why are we doing this? And is, is the guy at the top having a grand old time? And then, or, or are they all, all just hanging on and hiring a Mary to help repair things behind the scenes? They're hanging on and hiring Mar many Marys, not just Mary, just not me. They hire oh, many yeah, yeah. I get hired too, yes. it's just the ones I mean, that I work with hate what they're doing. So I wanted to hear from your perspective. So, so for many, for most people, for many of them, the becoming CEO or reaching that top pinnacle is the fulfilling the dream of a lifetime. Either their father said, you're going to be the CEO of a company. He told him when he's six, you'll be the CEO of a company. You know, for example, back in Ireland, back in the day, you had a farming family and or maybe even not farmers. And maybe you had seven or eight children in it. And the father would, and the mother too, combined would say, Jack, you're going to be a priest. Johnny, you're going to be an engineer. Mary, you're going to be a nun. And that's it. And, and you're going to be a lawyer. And it, that's how it all worked out. They had very little uh, say over what they were going to do, but the world has changed today. That doesn't happen. But when ambitions are driven into children, when parents insert their ideas on what the child should be or do when they grow up, really sinks in deeply and lasts a lifetime. You know, and many times have you come across a lawyer or an architect who's a frustrated gardener or a frustrated mm -hmm. artist, like the lawyer who should have been the artist. 
Yes, that but was me. Yeah, but wanted this wanted the financial stability of the profession, and that's that is what. But that is in great part what keeps a lot of people there. Most CEOs are miserable. And also the money, you have to remember the monies. They're terrified. You know, a lot of them, a lot of people at the top, it's a well-known, a well-known thing that men who have high power become very kinky sexually. And I have experienced it, I have witnessed it, I have seen American men of high power go to Thailand for sex for alternative types of sex with people that they can't legally and legitimately have sex with in America. You know, if you ever go to Phuket, you have all these young girls, 14 and 15, coming into town on their revels, you know, and they're all dressed up and they're looking for guys and what have you. And you have the American men going there to experience the many different Kama Sutras, so to speak. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big it's a big it's a big field. You, you, if one could write ten books on this. Oh, topic. I'm fascinated because it always makes me wonder what would be a different way. You know, in for me working with clients, I mean, I have a few C-suite, but not to the level you've been working with. Mine are more mid or upper level managers who hate their jobs. I'm like, why are we doing this? We're just continuing this. Is there anybody out there really grooving it and enjoying this? And maybe there's not, maybe the system is just set up that it's, we pay you enough and you are successful. You can have your joy, your meaning outside of work, which is fine. There's no, I, I don't have a judgment. It's more a curiosity. But one thing I've wondered about is what would happen to our economy, if people really did pursue what they were passionate about, and you didn't have a frustrated gardener running a, a massive company, would there be any CEOs? Of course, there'd be a CEO. But how, how would business be different if people truly pursued what they felt groovy about? We don't have a model. The closest thing might be entrepreneurship if, of people running small businesses. And of course, there's this gap between entrepreneur, you know, and it could be transformational, be a coach or whatever. Uh, maybe you might have a small business like a dentist, someone who just works for himself and can design how he wants his practice to be. I've been talking to some of the medical community, and, but even there, the physicians, physicians in particular, they're, they're burnt out, that the system is just really gross. And then you've got the CEO of the hospital who's hating life. And I'm like, if people could actually do what they do well and enjoy themselves, what would our economy look like? Would we all be sitting around you know, eating grapes and just lollygagging about? I, I don't think so, but we would still be earning income, but we don't have enough models yet to see what would happen if we just, you know, if people could, if people could be allowed to do what they want to do um, and not need someone like you to come in and keep them from offing themselves, you know, when they're running a large company with the pressures of their dad or something. It's exactly. just something I wonder about. Yeah, freedom, yeah. freedom yeah. to be yourself. Exactly. And that, you know, it's so important to be free to be, to be, I always tell my clients, you know, they, to, to allow their children and to help their children to focus on their strength. If you're an artist, you're an artist. Don't try and turn an artist into an architect or an engineer. You know, he's an, 
yeah, support him to be what he wants to do. But also, I think coming out of the depression, you know, if you were, I have several friends who are much older than me and certainly experienced the depression years in America. Like I have not experienced the depression. And it has a huge, has had a huge mark and scarred them for life in terms of how they handle money. I mean, I have friends who are millionaires and billionaires and we go out for coffee and they will say, well, Mary, you had a glass of wine and that was $9 and I had a beer that was $5. You know, oh, and they never buy me a cup of tea. So a lot of this getting the job for security, you know, and staying with the job for security, whether you love it or hate it, comes from that depression mindset. And the parents of the depression who grew up in the depression passed that depression mindset onto their children. Would that be baby boomer? Or I'm trying to think. Well, somebody who would be, so yes. somebody now, no, a baby boomer, I'm beyond baby boomer now. There's another okay. name for it. So it's somebody X. would be 86 now. Okay, okay. I'm 77. Okay. So, so I'm 77. And somebody who, who would be 86, 86, 88, they're still agile, they're still active, they play tennis, they ride horses, but they won't buy me a cup of tea because it can't, God forbid, they wouldn't have enough money to keep going, you know, to keep them. And yet they will have 20 million or 100 million or a billion dollars available. To them. That's amazing. That's hard for me to conceive of because... Wow, you have millions in the bank and buying Mary a cup of coffee scares. No, no. goodness or gracious. Or for a meal, even for your birthday. No, no, no. And that would never happen. But I feel strongly. I did, I've done a lot of reading, a lot of research, talking to different people about it, that this attitude towards security, towards staying in jobs that you hate, comes from the parents who grew up in the depression years. Okay. You know. Yeah, for everyone in the back, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Mm. Uh, I don't know how long that scar will take to wash out because yeah. e the, you know, some people today still feel that, you know, in their in their 20s, it's you know, and inherited and inherited, but that's an interesting perspective, yeah, Mary. Sometimes like uh, so I've had I have a few neighbors where the kids rebelled. And the father would say, no, you're going to be a lawyer. I'm not going to pay college for you to be an artist. What kind of money does an artist make? Or a musician was the other one. No, you're not going to music school. If you go to music school, you're on your own. You know, so they're not allowing the children to be and to do. And this is, this is typical. So a lot of these guys end up as CEOs for the same reason. Either they grew up very poor or their parents are very rich and were products of the the depression and they acquired that depression mindset where you you know security job security is everything and they're not willing to take the risk and until now until COVID-19 uh, I think this fear of COVID-19 vaccination and all the vax damage that's being shown on different platforms like BitChute and Rumble have people terrified and so it's interesting that only this fear of taking the vaccine will force people out of the jobs, mm. even though that job provides security for their family, maybe 100% of the security in many cases. Mm -hmm. You know, like a single mother with three children, she can't afford to be without her job. 
but she's willing to walk out because she doesn't want to get the vaccine. So that's a whole other arena. So it's really interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. The world is changing so quickly. And you're supporting people that are often very lonely, people Mm -hmm. who are held in high regard by everybody else. And sometimes that's what they want. You Mm -hmm. know, I, I have this image that I would like people to think of me, or I don't even know who I am. I only know what I do. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, for me, I coming from some of the stuff that I was reading, I think I mentioned the other day, there was this idea that, well, if you're poor, you should work on your money mindset, right? Go develop your attitude towards money and poof, you will become a millionaire because millionaire mindset, billionaire, they, they think differently. So if you change your thinking, you can be like that. That sells up to a certain point for the, um, transformational business coaching and all that stuff. And there's value in that. But you're also seeing people who always had that money who are just as messed up. So their money mindset was was pretty bad and they have millions in the bank. So we cannot always say that everything is due to your money mindset. I think it's a little oversimplified when you have miserable millionaires. Like, I mean, my goodness, you've shared before some of the pretty amazing things that you've helped people through. And- yeah, the moral, <laughs> it's been a fascinating ride, Adele. What can I say? Um, people, you know, what I, essentially what I say I would do is I help people navigate all the constant disruption in their life these days, constant. Like the CEOs today have so much more to deal with than the CEOs of five years ago because of, because of politics, because of the world reset, mm-hmm. uh, because of COVID and because of so many other things. And many, many times the CEO doesn't feel equipped mm-hmm. to, deal, to deal. In fact, not only does he, they generally are not equipped it's not just that they feel not equipped, they're not equipped. There's no resources. And we have people like Mary and or <laughs> other folks in the uh, coaching, advising. I don't even like the word coach. That word doesn't always fit. Um, I see myself more as a maybe a consultant, advisor, mentor. You know, coach means mm-hmm. like I'm going to, I don't, I've never resonated with that word, but I know it's the closest word we've mm-hmm. got right now. Um, you know, what I've admired about your work is that you have the wisdom of an elder. Someone, you didn't just wake up, you know, three days ago and decide to be doing this. It's a lifetime of experiences that now you can impart onto others. So it's not just, I took a program somewhere and I'm just regurgitating it. In fact, my, my sense is you were doing this even before there were all these programs. Mm-hmm. And then you took a few to see how they jive with you or not. And in many cases, you're saying no, and you're still doing it your own way. Could you speak to some of this? wisdom gathering it's a wisdom it's a wisdom based type of business not a knowledge or information type of business could you exactly. speak into that yeah no, exactly and for example most people look at coaches or advisors or as our consultants as being masters of technical you know the technical yes. field that's not going to blow out your i'm going to blow out your social media your ad yeah. spend on youtube yeah. i'm going to help you do yeah. x yeah you know and it's more important to have the ability to understand psychology now i never took a degree in psychology i was never interested because i always had this uncanny knack for reading people and understanding what their needs are even before they open their mouth 
And you now use that. You do NLP, you do hypnosis. So you do, you have trained in some of these things, even the if you didn't have a form. Apart from university and the typical, that typical route, the mm-hmm. only outside or external courses I took, I ever bought was, I bought Brendan Bouchard's Total Project Blueprint because that showed us back in the day the, the what one can how we can use or how we can maximize the internet to make money mm. and, to, and to do what we want to do. And the other course was, I took it in London uh, with Jonathan Royal, uh, hypnotherapy. I took many different branches of hypnotherapy from mind control to birthing to conception, uh, which I've had a lot of success with, and also NLP at the same time from the same guy. And we were living in, I, I was living in Dublin, Ireland at the time because my daughter was very sick and she had been to boarding school in Ireland. And after she got her degree, despite all the schizophrenia, she said, mom, let's go to Dublin for a year. So we did. And during that year, we had a blast. We went to London every weekend. She went to the Royal Academy of Art and, and I went to do my hypnosis. You know, so at least we gained, we gained huge value during that year in Ireland. And then we decided, no, we can't go back. Let's go home. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'm just um, enthralled with your work. I love that, you know, even though you charge a million dollars or more, many, some, your own consumption is not that you live fairly modestly and that you use a lot of this money to help change the world in other ways. I think that's amazing. So you're not living high on the hog with your own jet and all that stuff. It's no, 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 no. Yeah. I've been, yeah. been there, done that. And I, I've been there, done that. I keep things very, very simple because yeah. the more stuff you have, the more complex more stuff. Comes. Yeah. More stuff you, you have, have to manage and ensure and you have 20 fix. dresses. Then you have, I have maybe 15 pieces of clothing in my whole wardrobe. And that includes my underwear and my pajamas. <laughs> Well, one of these days I want to experience a high tea, you know, get a hat because I thought, oh my God, that would be fun. But Mary, this has been, this is like so awesome. I don't want to wear you out. I know you have a busy day. I'm very respectful of all the people and the demands on your time. Um, uh, If people, CEOs, CEOs, if you're out there or an entrepreneur, um, if you want to work with Mary, uh, Mary, uh, is it, is it, should they go to your website, Million Dollar Board? I don't have, I don't have a website. (laughs) How the can people time, reach you? The only time I have a website if I'm if I want to you know get to teach my teach people how to do what I'm doing and I'll put up a sales page. I've done all of this without a website and an autoresponder. I do direct outreach or, and or referral and or wow. and uh, you don't it goes to the point you don't need an, uh, a website, but you do need to to um, network. And network in the right circles. It's all about the networking. It's all about meeting the people, getting one right client who's going to refer 10 others to you. That's what it's all about. It's not about getting leads on Facebook or, you know. It's not your lead magnet or the (laughs) fonts on your webpage and your brand colors. Oh, my God. Um, I do have have a a Gmail. It's milliondollarboardroom at gmail.com. That's the simplest. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. Million dollar boardroom at gmail.com. Yeah. Fabulous. I mean, I'm interested. Maybe I'll sign up with some of your stuff someday. And it's just the depth of what you're talking about is refreshingly different than what 
the rest of the world keeps telling me, wah, wah. <laughs> so Mary, thank you so much. I know you're really busy. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation and we'll make this available on all the platforms. So thank you so much. Okay, you're very yeah. welcome. It was wonderful to talk with you today, Adele. Oh, it's awesome. Okay, okay, bye. Bye-bye.